You're listening to Bodies, the podcast, a discussion platform for voices of consciousness around issues of consciousness. Hey, I'm Roy Gluckman, a white South African male, and you're listening to Bodies, the podcast. Today in studio, we have Mpumi Shabalala, a friend of mine and activist for both gender and racial equality here in South Africa. And today we're going to be discussing the nuances and sensitivities around interracial relationships and interracial engagements from the perspective of a black South African female. Um, so anyway, Mpumi, welcome to Bodies. Uh, this Bodies. Is... I like that. Yeah. I, I, I like that. The whole thing is that like, I just... When terms become buzzwordy, I get irritated. Yes. So, like, bodies is a buzzword. Yeah. And woke yeah. is frustrating me to death. Yeah, me too. I can't deal. Like, me I mean, and it, and it explains so much, and I always want to use it, but, like, every time I'm like, ah, I just, I can't bring myself to actually yeah. use this word. I find that people who use the word woke, yeah, you know, the contrast between the woke on the Facebook page yeah. and the woke when you're out, on you know in the club yeah is can sometimes be yeah, a bit right? incongruous <laughs> to say the least but so. sometimes people got to sleep though <laughs> you know you can't be awake the whole time <laughs> sometimes you just want to have a nap uh, that's the question <laughs> tell me i always want to have a nap i always want to have a nap <laughs> it's wonderful to have you as the first guest on the show. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I'm honored. But it was kind of a natural choice, I think. Oh, thank you. We've known each other for mm. ages now. Mm. Doing this type of work. I mean, mm. what type of work? I mean, I guess the work of the woke. Or, I mean, <laughs> the work of the woke. Or, or, or maybe, maybe it would be more accurate to say that Mpumi has been a catalyst for, for my life. Hey, and my wow. consciousness, I think. I think that's more important. Yeah, but that's a story for another day. Mm. So, Mpumi, this kind of podcast or this conversation that we want to have is really because what we're seeing in society is this rise in consciousness. Yeah. That is happening um, largely to do with the internet mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. globalization mm-hmm. and social media. Um, but more, you know, and with that rise in consciousness is, of course, like any good yin and yang story comes the rise in fear. Yeah. Um, and that rise in fear, what we're seeing, though, the voices for fear are just loud. Big time. They're so loud. They're so publicized. Big and time. kind of the voices of consciousness are um, being drowned out. Mm. And this is essentially a space to try and rectify that balance and start getting conversations of people talking who do have voices of consciousness and have things to say mm. and have, you know, opinions that matter. Let me ask, can I ask something? Of course. About kind of, I mean, it almost is like a juxtaposition between fear and consciousness. And I I have found almost the opposite. Mm -hmm. That consciousness is a scary flipping place to be. Right. No, this podcast, you can swear. (laughs) Yay, fuck! This is is, is the swear podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, no, consciousness is fucking scary. Yes, so, I mean, and yeah. Um, yeah, so what does that mean? What does that mean? What is consciousness to me? Yes. I'm going to go a little bit into my history and, and mm. I, I love the term bodies. I love mm. that term and, and I think maybe my story will contextualize why. Yeah. So my parents, um, my dad grew up in a township in Free State. My mom grew up in the rural areas of KZN. 
um, both were fortunate enough to get high schooling and both went on to uh, go to varsity. Um, so already, you know, that puts me in a very high percentile of people who, you know, have <sighs> almost kind of like the, the fortune of my past mixed with the incredible hard work of my parents mm. never ceases to amaze me when I think about like how easy it is that I could have been mm. somebody with a very different background. Okay, so my parents both met in Johannesburg in Hillbrow in a lift <laughs> my dad loves to <laughs> make a joke about how he wanted to take a guitar out my mom's window and kind of uh they are subsequently divorced but <laughs> <laughs> started off beautifully though yeah, start off beautifully um and through that we went to the states because my dad was you know one of three black africans who were able to get a masters in chemical engineering wow. uh through anglo um, and then from there, he found, got an opportunity to study in Virginia Tech. So he took my mom and me. I was very about 11 months at the time, and we mm. went and we stayed in the States for six years. Um, so I came back to South Africa, and I remember being about six years old. We came back in 95. Wow. And I remember the night before we left, and I had a dream because I was only allowed to watch like Data Channel as a child and, and Sesame Street and stuff like that. And I had a dream that coming to South Africa would be like, you know, your giraffes and lions. And, and you know, mm. this was my little six year old dream with yeah. the American propaganda. Right, exactly. And then I got back to South Africa. And uh, and you'd had no memory of South Africa. I had yeah. So I was eleven months when first I left. Time, yeah. So it, no memory, mm. reintroduction, um, and what I found very interesting was how I was received because I was this little girl who went to a mixed school but who had this like full blown American accent. Mm. And one of my very first racialized experiences was when I was walking home from school. And this lady, this white woman on the road kind of came to me and she was like, um, yeah, I just want to know a little bit about you. Uh, what's your home language? Yeah. I said, English. <laughs> <laughs> she said, no, you don't understand. What, what is your home language? Wow. Uh, no, babe, I understand English. exactly what <laughs> She's like, no, what do you speak at home? English. She's like, you're so stupid. Wow. And she just walked away. I was so confused. I was like, what answer was I supposed to give? You know, and, and I mean, we did speak Zulu at home, but I, I, I didn't speak Zulu as much with my parents, you know, mm. and having been in the States, I was always around English and I'd bring English home. Yeah. And eventually we just started speaking English at home and that's, that's the language we spoke. Um, and that was the first time that I realized that there's somebody out there who sees my body and sees the way I look mm. and has an assumption about what my answer to this question should be. Right. And that I'm supposed to have had certain experiences and I'm supposed to behave in a certain way. Mm. And here I was getting visible feedback from somebody outside of myself saying, I don't accept the story you're telling me about yourself. Mm. I just don't accept it. It's you're actually fucking stupid. So walk and, away. And it's, I mean, based purely on that own kind of perception that she yes. has of of the way you look. Yes, yes. Wow. And I mean, I was too young to be able to like be like, oh, you know, that's her problem. I was just so confused. Yeah. I was just 
Like, I don't understand how... And I think that was the moment where my racialization and conscientization about race really began. Mm. Is when I realized that people respond to me in a very weird way when they would hear like an American accent come out of my mouth or, mm. and, and that weird way wasn't, um, I mean, it wasn't this like, Oh, I'm, I'm interested to find out about you. It no. was like, wait, you're challenging. Yeah. My, you're challenging idea. my understanding. Exactly. And I'm, yeah. exactly. Mm. And we're talking about like, you know, 1997, mm. you know, so, South Africa as a democracy was still so young, yeah. was a little toddler, sure. you know, so I think people just didn't know how to receive that. And I, th- I think that's why I have, from a very young age, been very sensitive to the way in which I am received and how I may or may not disrupt people's preconceived notions of me. As a black female. As a black female. In South Africa. In South Africa, yes. And your mom, obviously, um, who I also know personally, is an amazing woman. And what type of, what type of you know, education and chats were you having with her around race? I mean, was your mom kind of protective of you in terms of opening up these conversations in your home as a young woman? Or um, was she like, listen, you know... Mm, this is, the, this is, is the reality. Yeah. What was what was oh, your mom like? Oh, you know, actually, this is a this is a very interesting and tender spot in our relationship because I think my mom's attitude to bringing me up is to try as hard as possible to give us as clean a slate as she could. Mm. And so, my mother does for the listeners out there. My mother does diversity work and has done that for like decades. Um, and so she's in these spaces having conversations about race, and yet at home, I didn't feel like we engaged in those kinds of conversations. Right. Um, and I spoke to her about this when I was much older, and I was like, like, I just don't understand why we didn't. And she said to me, you know, I just felt like I could not pass on my, mm. my stuff to you. And it was very difficult for me to not say the things that I wanted to say. And, and for me, what, what is that stuff? What is that stuff that she didn't want to pass on to you? I'm still discovering yeah. every day. I, I, I mean, so only recently, like literally maybe two or three years ago, did my dad one day, very strangely, hmm. uh, kind of unprompted, talk about an incident when he was at Wits. And, you know, you had to have a pass to get from Soweto, where he was supposed to stay, to Witz campus. Um, And there had been riots at Witz, and the police were clamping down on Mm. the people who were part of that. And he was one of the people who had attended, like, a march or something. Um, And it just so happened that a friend who the police had gotten hold of and who they had beaten so badly had come, and they'd gone through the hostel, and they'd gone room to room, door to door, and they got to my dad's door, and this friend could have ratted my dad out, Mm. and he didn't. And my dad has never told that story. He's never told it. Mm. And out of nowhere, I'm just hearing about, like, you know, his interaction with the police and, mm. and, and this threat and huge danger and what it was like for him. And I subsequently learned that he had definitely been arrested before and I didn't mm. know that. Mm. And so I don't know. If, I think this is a mixture of, you know, personal psychology. I think different people process trauma differently. Mm. But my parents, both of them have stories that I know are untold. Mm. 
um, and I know they are not telling them for reasons that I have to respect. Absolutely. Um, I'm sure and they're very painful. And exactly, I think for them, they just are very concerned about passing on the anger. Right. And I mean, part of the irony is I'm fucking angry anyway. Mm. So, <laughs> so I don't know how how much. You, yeah, I don't know if if those stories would have done much damage. Mm. I think maybe it's difficult for people of the older generation to now look at race as a possible conversation that can be had in order to grow from something as opposed to something that's very divisive. I don't know. I mean, like, what is Uhuru? Mm. You know, what does it look like when we have reached our, where we treat each other as with with our full potential and understanding and love and mm. humanity in mind, what does that look like? What does that look like? And <laughs> I think our parents would say it would look like not knowing race. It would yes. look like not seeing. And I'm sure that that's what they probably ideate, ideated over. It's like, yes. you know, I cannot wait for the time where this isn't a thing. My Uhuru is where we are so rooted in whatever strain of identity we choose to take on Mm. i want to be able to be like i'm fucking proud to be black yes i am proud to be black Mm. and there is something special about it and there's something unique because we share a history and that history is so long and it's so embedded Mm. it's actually in my genes Mm. it's actually in the way that i see things Mm. and that's my community and i'm so woman and i have you know i i have these things that are so important to me with other women that are sacred and that are for us um that by saying to be post-racial is to deny your entire identity. Exactly. For me. For me, I think think that I would love to be able to have us be proud and rooted and and be able to own Mm. these strains of our identity Mm. and still allow us to meet one another in the middle Mm. and still be able to see that and still be able to engage with that and love that. And Mm. even if it's loving it from afar, you know? Yeah, I mean, so then how does the idea of consciousness feed into that point, to to that position where, and this is going to sound super cheesy, but irrespective of who you are, you know, Mm. there's that acceptance, there's acknowledgement, there's that, um, what's the word? Yeah, I I guess an acknowledgement. Yeah. So how does consciousness play into that? I think that it happens when people don't become so triggered mm. by being told the truth. Okay. And somebody else's experience of the truth. All right. There is something that I've found in relating with white others mm. that sometimes when I tell something really honest... The reaction is that has to do with my race or my gender or my positionality or my experience of certain things. Like there's this, oh, we, we actually either we need to change the topic or there's huge anxiety mm. or we need to let's intellectualize this or or actually, oh, this is about to get hot. You know, yeah. I won't be able to deal with this. I won't be able yeah. to. And I find myself crafting my story around mm. worry, w- not wanting to upset people. And, I and these think, are white liberals. These are these are like liberal white bodies yeah, that we're talking yeah. about, right? You know, where it's like, oh, I'm not, you know, maybe I won't say that in this crowd, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Kind of pulling back 
and mm. uh, not wanting to small things. So then what is, in your opinion, or what should be the kind of thought process of a white person in that space? So let's say you do say something that triggers somebody. Yeah. And obviously the, there's a sense of uncomfortability or, mm, or whatever they're feeling. Mm, you know, mm, mm, what is mm, the mm. position we want to get to where that, that space can just be held irrespective yeah. of the uncomfortableness or the yeah. uncomfortability? You know, what, what, what for you is a good position to take, let's yeah. say, as, as this white body in this space? Yeah. So whew, that's hard for me to answer because I am very often the person who in the power dynamic doesn't have the power. Yes. So I, I, I'm in these political discussions, I haven't found myself needing to do that. So I've actually not given that much thought. But I will say this, just as in any other intimate relationship, and that's what it is. When we have conversations about identity, it's intimate. Mm. Irrespective it's of personal. whether you know this person or not. Exactly. You know I mean? It's personal. Yeah. Uh, to expect rationality is expecting too much, if you ask me. Yeah. You know, like, sometimes you may be met with aggression and anger, mm. and that's because we come from centuries of aggression and anger and repression, and that, that is the consequence. As human of, beings uh, or as, as black human beings? As black human beings. Right. So in the same way... and. This may be seen as contradictory, but in the same sense as I am asking white people to listen mm. with less reactivity, mm. I am also saying that I hope that there is a bigger space for black people to own their anger. Right. Because I don't feel like I'm allowed to own any of it. Mm. Because if I get angry, justifiably... Uh, I'm now, ooh, you know, like a Julius follower. Ooh, yeah. scary, scary black person who's going to, you know, jump me, mm. who's going to kill me, who's going to take my land. Yeah. And you know? I mean, I, I think, I think that, you know, you said getting angry justifiably. I think that's the, that's, that's, that's the mm. key point. That's the key word mm. there, right? Because what happens for me as a white person to get to that point where I'm like, this is a radical black woman, you know, yeah. is because I delegitimize that anger, right? Because yes. I don't think that's a justifiable anger. Yeah. Because I don't understand. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily have the consciousness or I have this, I don't know, pseudo conscious. I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So because yeah. I don't legitimize and justify that anger, mm -hmm. I immediately put you as a radical. Exactly. I'm like, oh, but why are you angry? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. And I would hope mm. that when someone receives me in that space, mm. that they would treat me like you would treat your partner who is angry. Mm. You know, you don't, I would hope that we treat the people that we love and whose humanity we see, mm. that we're able to be still and go, okay, woo, right. I see that there's this anger coming. Mm. I'm going to choose to actually be the adult in this situation. Mm. And not that, and I'm using the the word adult yes, in context. I, yes. um, I mean, you know, I don't know if you know of the parent child adult psychological. Just give us a quick breakdown. Okay, quick breakdown. When we react or we're triggered, mm. one can either ascend to what is like a parenting behavior, where it's like um, where we shout down at other people, and you can mm. you can see the shift in someone when they're centered, when they're fine, when they aren't being triggered, when they aren't feeling reactive, they're able to kind of speak almost factually and and objectively, mm. and then when one is 
triggered when one is reactive, either you can go into the parent state, which is the shouting down and the, you know what, actually, which I get a lot of and have gotten a lot of, especially from white males. Or it can be a child state that one returns to, which is like very either having a tantrum Mm. or it is kind of completely caving in and feeling completely victimized and getting small. And so when I say reacting from an adult space, that's, that's using that methodology, which says that the adult space is where you take yourself out of your, you retreat from your reactivity, you bring yourself back to center and you facilitate the conversation. And the other, I mean, conversation can't happen when I'm in, I'm in child mode and you're in parent mode. Right, there's no conversation. There's no conversation. We're reacting. It's crazy. But what I would hope is that when I have a really real reaction to the world and what's happening to me and I get angry, my hope is that the other person on the other side would do me a kindness and listen Mm. and hold that and not react to my anger. Yeah, and I I mean, you said... Um, a moment ago, the idea of that, let's call it a white person, taking the adult role in, yeah. in that space, mm. right? And then you use the word, you would hope that they would facilitate that space. Now, Exactly, yes. And I think I'd love your understanding or your opinions on what that facilitation looks like of that space. That is oh, perfect, perfect, perfect. So to me, this intersects with some teachings by Brene Brown. Okay. I don't know if you know about her, but she she had did a TED talk some years ago about um, shame and vulnerability and having real, honest, wholehearted, courageous conversations mm. with the other, and what that looks like, and dealing with dealing with issues of shame and guilt and anger and and all of these parts of ourselves that we generally don't share with other people who we don't know intimately. But when a person is triggered, this will come out. And what Brene says is, you know, to treat someone, and this is all about emotional intelligence, right? Right. So what I mean is not necessarily facilitate like someone who knows better and someone who is trying to calm the situation down and who's going, uh, you know, I'm this kind of paternal figure kind of that's not kind of where I'm going where I'm going is for someone to say oh my gosh I hear that Mm. that is incredibly painful yeah I am really sorry I'm really sorry that this is happening to you and I'm really sorry that I unfortunately might benefit from the fact that this continues to happen to you. Right. Do you want to talk more about it? I'm here to listen. Yeah. If you don't want to talk about it, that's also cool. And I'm just going to say that I'm really sorry that this happened to you. Mm. And to me, that is that is true listening. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking about what it takes for, let's say, an other of mm-hmm. the other. Mm-hmm. So let's say a white person or a straight person or a man in that moment, once that other person has expressed that anger or frustration or whatever emotion that mm. may be expressed, to then kind of get to that point where they can say, wow, I feel you, like, I'm so sorry, you know, to, to kind of take that. That is, that is a very, 
very difficult mm -hmm. space to get to. Mm -hmm. And for me, it is absolutely imperative that absolutely. people get to that space. Absolutely. So like I kind of want to chat about now, how can people get to that? What are the mm -hmm. barriers to getting to that point where you can say, you know what? I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Oh, I benefited. Or yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. But I feel that, you know. You see, I think I'm really happy you're bringing this up because I think this is part of the struggle of being a black woman is having to play the adult role mm. all mm. the time. Because I'm in corporate South Africa. Yeah, let's talk more about this. And people are challenging my truths all the time, mm. saying really problematic stuff. Right. And because there is a carrot and there's a stick, and if I challenge so-and-so CEO or COO or CFO or mm. head person or there will be consequences. Right. And so I have no other choice but to play the adult role and almost and – just, and just listen to this person who's now venting and who is, you know – I mean, it's always just the other day. It's like, you know, this government and blah, 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 and no, 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 and this country is going to the dogs and, right. and look at what happens and blah, 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 which for me – in that context had an undertone of black people don't know how to run things. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's what I was hearing was the undertone of the conversation. Right. And I'm hearing this and it is upsetting me. And because there are serious consequences to my reaction, reacting to that, mm. I am forced to then play nice, play nice and listen to the fact that, here is an old, older white man who grew up in a completely different context who's telling me that he's scared. Right, absolutely. And he doesn't know how to say that. Absolutely not. And so he's going to lash out at, at me and, and almost, you know, he's going to do his thing mm. and he's going to get angry and he's going to, you know, hurt the people around him. And, mm. and that's what he's going to do because he doesn't know how to deal with the fact that he's terrified and I need to just, yeah. and how I get through moments like that is I, I breathe and it's a very psychological exercise for me. It's, it's, I breathe, I count to 10 and I go, this is not about me. This is not about me. This is about someone else's problem. Mm. And even though what they're saying is so fucked up, mm. I will listen with humility sure. and gentleness. Right. Because clearly there is something that he feels he needs to say and, and I'm in this position in my career where I can't challenge it. Right. And I mean, I think it's also fair to say that even if, you were at a position where you could challenge it. It, it. It's your prerogative to where, you know, you can mm. decide to engage it and be like, actually, I'm going to take this on. Or sometimes mm. like, actually, I don't, have the, I, I don't want to do yeah, this right Yeah, I don't have the bandwidth. Exactly. Like, I don't have the bandwidth. Exactly. exactly. I'm capped. My daughter's capped. <laughs> exactly. Like, I can't do this like, today. Done. And I think that yeah. is, it's these microaggressions that have fed into what I think is a lot of black people have to be so incredibly emotionally 
old right. and advanced mm. to be able to navigate South African spaces. Because if you allow this place to trigger you, you will not be a productive human being. You will not be able to work. You will not be able to get up in the morning. You will not be, able, you will not be productive. You will not be able to you know, live your life. Yeah. And it's so astounding to me that constantly I feel like black people are called on to hold this emotional maturity in spaces when actually we're the injured party. We're the injured party in the story of South Africa's history yeah. and the legacy that we live with mm. every day. We're the injured party. Mm. And yet I am still being called on to be an adult and don't flip out and don't get angry and don't, you know, but just let it go. Oh, yeah. but, but how do you know? Oh, but, and so that's why when I say I would love for black people to be able to own their anger more, that's where that's coming from. Mm. It's because on a consistent basis, I am called on to occupy the position of the person who will hold everything and be strong. Mm. And even though someone is saying something that is very hurtful, mm. I can't react rationally to that. Uh, or, or, yeah, and it, emotionally. It, it, emotionally. Yeah, in that. any way. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I mean, Pumi, we could talk for fucking four days, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, I think the, you, you use the term called on and you haven't been called on to do that. You don't have a fucking choice. You know what I yeah. mean? That's the craziest thing is that I am pretty convinced that white people don't understand what's happening in that space in that time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, I don't think white people understand that emotional responsibility. Yeah. Which immediately exactly. falls on your shoulders, right? Yeah. And I was just thinking about how one would deal with that, right? Because so this guy saying, oh, the government, oh, da, 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 da. the feeling and the tone that you're getting is that, ah, oh, this, this is a bit racist. You yeah. Know? Like, I'm feeling a bit yeah. uncomfortable. How do, we, how do we address this individual? And I'll tell you why I ask, because this guy's not saying anything racist from a traditional understanding of racism. Yes. And if you say, oh, that's racist, he's going he's gonna to come for you, right? Yeah, big time. Because he doesn't and I'll be out of a job tomorrow. And, he doesn't, and that's, that's all, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't understand the nuances of that. So, so it's almost mm -hmm. like you're kind of handcuffed. Exactly. Right? Because are you now going to engage in a full-length debate with this person as to why that's problematic when he's going to, like you said, God forbid you call a white person racist. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm remembering an experience I had with a colleague. This is someone I respect deeply. Mm. She is uh, a, an amazing lawyer and a great tactician. She, flip, she white is a white woman. Mm. And one day at work, she asked me, out of the blue, do black people use dishwashing liquid to wash their hair? What? Where did that even come from, though? And I was like... <laughs> Excuse me, what? And for me, I'm sorry, I've got the biggest smile on my face because I'm just like, what? This is ridiculous, yeah. So, this is a very intelligent, mm. you know, in her 30s. Mm. So, she's not like young and like, I mean, maybe I would have a different reaction if she was like this 22-year-old who didn't know a thing about, but she's, she's an adult. Mm. She is a working adult. She is in the legal field. Mm. She's incredibly smart. And she asked me this question and I'm, and she's my senior. Okay. So, I mean that, 
it caught me so off guard that I I wasn't as quick and able to jump to adult and be like, right. okay, huh? Let's unpack. Mm. I kind of I had to walk, I had to walk away. I, so you just turned around and walked away. I was like, huh, where does this come from? And then she was like, no, you know, I saw this meme that like, so there was <sighs> a meme. Yes. I saw this meme and it said replaceable goods. And then it had like a white person using like, I don't know what product, like I blocked out half of the story because it was sure. just so. <laughs> and she was like, you know, it'll have like um, a white person's use a Tupperware and then a black person will use like an old Rama jar. And it's like substitutable goods, you know. Ooh, this is and the so thing epic. is, <laughs> And then she's like, but the thing is like, you know, I'm wanting to to actually contribute and and like this Christmas and give some some stuff to the needy and I want to give things that I think people will be able to use. So I am covering my face <sighs> in horror. Yes, no, please. <laughs> Jesus. And then I walked away. Okay. And then I walked away. And she I mean, God bless her. She tries I think that she is she is a white liberal. She's someone who, mm. you know, engages with race and is able to talk about race without running away, uh-huh. um, but still asks questions like these. Yeah. And getting back to what you said, I don't know how we treat someone like well, that. I mean, because well, I well, just, I mean, am I, you know what I wish she did? Yes. Because she saw by my face. Oh, yeah. Sure. That she had made an error. Yes. And then it was like awkward and we weren't really talking to each other and then we never processed it. Right. So that that's kind of, I want to know what the aftermath in terms of your relationship yeah. has been. And because she's my senior, I'm not going to go and say, mm. actually, so-and-so, can we actually go into your office and have a, dis- like, just unpack this. Like, I don't feel like I have the the leverage or the power to be able to impose that discussion on her. Okay. Um. And so it was just awkward and then we moved on. And what I really wish she did, what I really wish she did mm. is I wish she came in and she said, Bumi, I, I said something wrong yesterday. Mm. I'm not entirely sure why or how or – and I hope you know that my intentions were pure. Mm. But I want to say I'm sorry because I could tell that I affected you. Right. And right. you know what I would have said? I would have said thanks so much. Actually, let's talk about why right. it's, this it's, hurt me. It's a completely different space now. Yes. It's a completely different space. Now we can engage. So that chat never happened. She didn't come up to you. you no. And you guys have moved on. That obviously adds to the general miss and distrust of white people. Yes. And I, I think what's interesting is that, and this conversation we can go into or we can choose not to go into, okay. depending on how you're feeling. The idea of white people saying that black people are too sensitive. Oh. Because now, if we go back to the example of this white guy who talks about the government and da 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 yeah. da da If you were, were you to bring something up and say, you know, that's quite racist, like, oh, why are you pulling the race card? Why are you so sensitive? Yes, you know? yes. That is an, an immensely problematic thing to do, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I think it's a real thing. I think that is an actual real belief in white South Africa's mind that black people are too sensitive. And obviously it comes from the fact that we don't get it. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. They absolutely do not get it. And that kind of adds to the mistrust and the distrust mm. that I guess black people may have for white people when you open up these conversations, mm. oh, just fact, maybe on a daily basis, mm. general conversation. Mm-hmm. You know? I don't distrust or mistrust white men or women and these experiences because they happened. I distrust the fact that they won't apologize. Right. If I understand what you're saying, and that is, if you're going to say something problematic to me, I mean, it's, it hurts and I'm going to like be upset. Mm-hmm. But coming to me afterwards and engaging and apologizing. That is, is the healing. Is that, that's the healing. Because mm. you see, this is the thing. Because I've accepted I'm racist, I ain't going to flip out when somebody calls me on it. Because it's possible. I don't... Ha- it's, it's almost like there is such shame ar- around it. Yeah. That it's like, if you dare to touch that, that area... That exposed fucking nerve. Yes. Then yeah. it's like breakdown finish. But if white people could acknowledge that there's no way you can grow up in South Africa and not be racialized. Right. There is no way you can interact with our media, with mm. our music, with our, the, the projections, with television, and not be racialized. So therefore, when you get called on it, it won't set you into orbit to the point where you can't now afterwards go, hey, I slipped up. I am a product of my socialization as we all are and I slipped up and I missed this and I dropped the ball and I'm sorry. Mm. Finished. Yeah. I mean, that's powerful for me. The point is we're already, we're already in the conversation. Yeah. We're already in the conversation about race. We're just in denial about right. it. And I think <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that. We're in it. We, yeah. we are no, the way that. we treat each other, the little slights, the little we're in it. We're having the conversation already. Absolutely. And people are like, we shouldn't be talking about this. Like, mm-hmm. no, guys, we talk about this on a daily basis. Just no one's really vocalizing. Mm-hmm. We're actually, actually engaging. And unpacking. Right. Mm. You know, you, you spoke about microaggressions and microaggressions is also like, I think, becoming faster buzzword. But in that, I don't think people actually understand what microaggressions yeah, are. Yeah. They really don't understand it. So let's use this example of this bus that, that you had. Oh, no, let's, let's talk about sunlight liquid. Yeah. Which, it, do you feel like that was a microaggression? That was a microaggression, yes. When you say to me, do black people use sunlight liquid? A, yeah. you as sound shampoo. like a, as shampoo. Yeah. You sound like a voyeur who is hmm. about to go on some mission right. into the Amazon jungle. Yeah. And give, what give do exactly? What do the blacks do? Observe them in their natural habitat. First That's of hell. all, ex- you have othered me so much. You are, you see me as this foreign species, something unrelatable. Right. That's the first thing. The second thing I is. Mean, for me, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like, that's huge what you just said, mm. because that's fucking true, man. Yeah. Is that I do think, I honestly do think that a lot of white people look at black people as un, completely unrelatable. Yeah. 
And I think, I mean, that is the product of our society. Our society mm-hmm. has told us this, mm-hmm. that we are not the same. Yes. That we are yes. not the same. Sure, that's, that's devastating for me. And that, that was really painful. It was right. painful to have me now become a spokesperson mm. for blackness mm. because I think white people and what privilege is, is being able to be seen as an individual. And what it is to be on the other, uh, other side of that is to have your individuality clouded by your group mm. um, belonging. So in that moment... She wasn't speaking to Mbumi. She was speaking to a black person. Right, exactly. It was hurtful that she didn't go and fucking educate herself. And she must now take this racist bullshit that's out in the media and project it as her own view without interrogating it. Mm. That's, she had abdicated her responsibility in that regard. Mm. Because clearly, I mean, she just thought that I could be this encyclopedia of black knowledge and I would give her the answer to how blacks behave and how, you know, when dealing with the lion species, one needs to, I mean, what the fuck? So that, so that comment, that engagement, that microaggression, which maybe is a little bit more than micro in this example, this aggression, this violence is what causes the pain, right? Mm-hmm. And the apology, the, the honest apology, the yeah. I thought about this, I come to you the next day, I humble myself and I say, I've hurt you. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't necessarily know why, but mm-hmm. I have seen that I've hurt you. Mm-hmm. What does that do to the equation of violence, microaggression, hurt? Does it, does it balance the equation? Does it solve the equation? Or does it just kind of mitigate that hurt and that pain a little bit? So this now is where... Every person is different. Right. Um, Am I, I mean, asking you now to speak on behalf of black people? <laughs> yeah. Let's say just for you. Then. I think that I have heard many different black views on this. Mm. Some of my friends are like, fuck your apology. I don't want your apology. Get out of my face. As mm. long as I just don't have to deal with you, that's fine. Mm. I've written you off. That's what I need. Yeah. Um, I... I am of the predisposition where I want to be able to have intimate, connected conversations with people of another race to me. Yeah. And I realize that in intimate relationships of all kinds, I also fight with my friends who are black women. Mm. We all fight. It's for me an apology. I can forgive you for that. Mm. I can forgive you for that because I see your humanity. Mm. I know that you're not perfect. I know that we're all a product of our socialization. Mm. And, you know, I know that the reason why this is hurtful for both of us is because there's this underlying narrative about the worth and value of black people and what they do and how they smell and what they eat and what products they use. And, you know, that when you touch on that... You have hurt me. So I am, I, I, I can, I think I can forgive that. I think I, mm. I can forgive the fact that you may not have been aware of the fact that that narrative is so loud and that yeah. you have tapped into it and that you have othered me and that you have said what you've said. I think I can forgive that because I do want to 
I don't sound like I'm very forgiving right now. I think I'm still in the angry phase. I'm not like back back up to be. I'm like, I can't forgive her. I can't forgive her. <laughs> I'm going to mention her name on this podcast. We're going to broadcast it and they're going to find her. Yeah, I think I've gotten all angry again. But like mm. who I want to be is someone who can forgive that. Right. Is someone who can. And it's it's contextual, you know. Different yes. scenarios call for different right, things. Of course. You know? And I mean, I think like at this point, I want to say, and maybe you can confirm this, is that the choice of a black person to say, "I'm not going to forgive," is also okay. Exactly. And I think every day I come to a different place on my level of tolerance to yeah. go the extra mile to quote-unquote, educate right. a like, white person about my pain and my difficulty and why I am hurt by them. Mm. And I think for me it's all about, it's all about this, it's, it's about how. I'm very willing to tell you about my experience if I know you're willing to really listen. Mm. You know, I had a colleague... Who Oof, all these colleague stories? I know, I mean. <laughs> hey, corporate <laughs> South Africa. Yes, <laughs> let's go. I had a colleague who, you know, some big racial incident happened in a very public way. Okay. So she, I think, did the best version of a white apology I have ever seen in real life. Okay. She went to everyone's offices. Every single person in, in the business? Yeah. So it's, it was a couple of us. It was quite a small group okay. who were on this recruitment. Okay, okay, okay. Went to everyone who would have been seen by this, seen yes. this thing and had yes. been hurt by this. Mm. Personally knocked on doors. Asked to speak to every single person. And apologized. And respected those who said, I actually don't want to talk to you. Mm. And she she didn't. And so and so doesn't want to talk to me, and I'm trying to apologize. And no, it wasn't about her. Mm. She was like, okay, I realize and I respect your position, and I just want to apologize. Left the space, left the person. And when she came to me, we had a very deep talk. And she she was in tears and it was like really emotional. And I just thought, how do I not forgive someone who is, she is like prostrating herself in front of me mm. out of the shame that she feels about having caused so much pain sure. to other people and how that wasn't her intention. That is someone I am very happy to educate. Mm. My last question to you. Mm. How safe did you feel coming into this space to talk about this? That's a very good question. Well, I think what's hard about this medium is not knowing who I'm talking to because right. it's you and I here, but I don't know how many people are listening right now. Yeah. Um, that's the first thing. And being taken out of context mm. and... The difficulty about any kind of conversation like this for me, whether it's with you or with anyone else, is knowing that my views are not mainstream. My views are not the ones that are currently getting airplay on carte blanche. Mm. 
um, my views are views that disturb the status quo. Right. And choosing to air those views comes with an understanding that there will be backlash because the status quo doesn't like being upsetted. Right. So the fear about it is the fear that I have every time when I have to, when I feel called to speak mm. about this. Use the word, the terms, air your views. I mean, and really what you're doing is challenging this meta truth, right? That mm -hmm. has been structured and created, you know? And I mean, I, I respect the, 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 the bravery of coming in because you're right, there are backlashes and, that's one of the fucked up things, right? Mm. Is that there's like these weird and it's quite extreme and severe consequences yeah. for opposition voices yeah. to the status quo of yeah. whiteness, yes. heteronormativity, patriarchy, you know, masculinity. I, <laughs> sorry to interrupt. Have you seen Gillian? Do you know Gillian Skitter? No. She is a white woman who I think she also writes a bit in the paper, but I follow her on Facebook. Okay. And she is constantly challenging whiteness mm. as a white woman. And sometimes she'll post up the comments and the hate mail yeah. that she gets. Roy, it is terrifying. I, I keep telling her she needs a freaking bodyguard yeah. because people are at the point where they want to kill her. They are sending her death threats and she's white, mm. you know, <laughs> so, mm. so more and more, you know, it is a scary prospect of choosing to tell the truth. It is a necessary, it's a necessary, for me, it is a necessary burden of the fact that I am born in this country and in this time. And I realize that this is the mantle, this is the cross that I have to bear mm. because I take huge responsibility for how this country ends up and God be damned. I'm not going to have my children grow up in a South Africa that, you know, just allows these systems to perpetuate themselves. I will not allow that to happen in my country. I'm so sorry. Mm. So for me, it is, there is a huge sense of obligation that I have to do this work. Mm. So, even though it's scary mm. and even though it's, it doesn't feel safe and even though it'll come with violence and backlash and threats and surveillance and policing mm. and the point is the war is clearly not over. I mean, this, this kind of takes us full circle to, to the original construct of consciousness and fear, right? Exactly. Because for me, exactly. this woman of speaking out against white or speaking mm -hmm. to whiteness or against whiteness is a voice of consciousness, mm -hmm. in my opinion. And it's always amazing that when that consciousness, when those voices of consciousness rise, so too do those voices of fear. And the whole thing is that the, that fear is so, those voices are so frightening for the listener that sometimes you do recluse. You're like, actually, I can't yeah. do this anymore. You know? Yeah. This is too frightening. And that's why, again, I must extend the respect to you who continues to do this work and continues to have this conversation because this idea of creating voices of consciousness mm. for, some, for change that is greater than themselves 
and at times, and as we've ex- experienced, at the expense of themselves, mm. you know, is kind of what I think as a society, not only as South Africa, I'm talking about as human beings generally mm. on this fucking planet, needs to start fostering and, and really growing and harboring yeah, mm. and, and, you know, developing. Yeah. The irrespective of, this is the fight for something greater than ourselves. Yep. You know. Yeah. So here's the quote. Yes. If we wanted to, people of color could burn the world down for what we have experienced, are experiencing, but we don't. How stunningly beautiful that our sacred respect for the earth, for life, is deeper than our rage. Wow. That's amazing. I want to be that person. And, you know, I'm still in my 20s. I think I'm still entitled to be pretty angry for oh, a little while longer. And to oscillate into child mode as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully a bit more. Yeah. So I can, I can actually just be allowed to be human and have my anger, which is justified. Yeah. But um, I do want to get to a place where... I am able to rise above because I see the greater goal Mm. and to have tolerance and love for people who I believe don't deserve it. Sure. Mpumi, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. This was great. Thank you. I'm feeling, it's not a heaviness, it's, it feels like a swole, like swollen a little mm. bit, you know, and not in a not in a bad way. Like I think I, I'm really glad that we had got to have this. this yeah, chat. me too. Um, so thank you for joining me today. Ah, uh, thank you for having me. And we'll me. see you again. Yes, please. Talking about some more shit. <laughs> yeah. Away. <laughs> thank you, Roy. Love you. <laughs>